Hey, welcome to Gen X Voice. Nobody asked us, so let's get our voices heard. Written off years ago as the Slacker generation, we actually have brought a lot to the world behind the scenes. Now we need to bridge two opposing generations and make sure non-Karen voices are heard. I'm your host, Trish The Dish, and I'm going to interview Gen Xers being rad and doing cool shit in the world. You can follow me at Gen X Voice on Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify. Check out other podcasts, videos, and blogs at genxvoice.com. Even though the focus of this platform will be to celebrate Generation X, the goal is to interview as many people as possible from lots of generations, backgrounds, and experiences. Let's unpack some of our differences and attempt to discover what truly ties us all together. With so much division and pain in the world today, instead of shutting people down for their age or other features outside of their control, let's listen to these voices and discover common ground so we can come together and create a better world for all. I don't wanna be an army one. This episode's guest is someone super important to me. She became my stand-in mom over the years and has been there whenever the times were dark and scary. I probably wouldn't be the woman or human I am today if it wasn't for her, even though our spiritual and political views tend to be very different. What we share, though, is deeper than that. It is a genuine love and a respect for each other, and the amount of things we do have in common far outweigh those other two things. To us, they are secondary to the latter mentioned things. What she and her husband have taught me is that we can coexist and learn from each other and even meet in the middle on some things, something that today seems more important to do now more than ever. I know this is a very controversial thing to say these days, but I don't believe the world is as black and white, either or, us versus them as they want us to believe, they on both sides. Anyway, let's take a journey through the life of a woman who was in the valley before the malls and the movie. Hi, Valerie. Hi, Trish. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's a Sunday and it's uh, a nice cool day outside and I'm glad that we're starting to get that cool fall weather. So, Ooh, we've got clouds. There's clouds right now over the sun that usually hits my face this time of day in in the room where I record mm-hmm. and you know, it's cloudy and it's like oh it's so wonderful is it cloudy there too yes it is it has been yeah and and very cool and it's next week it's going to warm up a little it'll be in the 80s but that's that's it so I think I think we're over the heat waves for the year hopefully that's what they're saying about Phoenix, too. And um, for our listeners, you're in Northridge, California, mm-hmm. um, which the is San Fernando Valley. the San Fernando Valley, where like totally Valley Girls were created. And <laughs> um, because this is a Generation X podcast, right? Like we have got to talk about the fact that the mall that is down the street from you is the mall that they filmed Fast Times at Ridgemont High, right? Um, I don't know. Maybe it is. Yes, it is. Actually, it is. It is because I remember it, it, I, the one that they filmed that at is actually not at the Northridge Mall. It's at the one that used to be in Sherman Oaks. Oh, okay. The Sherman yeah. Oaks Mall. That's right. And now, yeah. how far away is Sherman Oaks from Northridge? Um, I would say it's probably about five to seven miles. Oh, okay. So still in the valley. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, you though, we had to rewind a little bit. Um, tell the listeners how old you are. Well, as a matter of fact, tomorrow is my birthday and I will be 66 years old. And happy birthday, by the way. I cannot believe I didn't say, I didn't open with that. Um, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but um, what, a, what a wonderful, and, and tomorrow being um, actually the, the 26th, but this won't air until November. So you'll have already been 66. 66. Right. Wow. It's hard to believe. I don't, I don't feel that way in my head. <laughs> well, and you don't you don't look like it either. Like I'm still waiting for you and, um, and Mike to age. And, and incidentally guys, this is my auntie. So this is my first family member that I'm interviewing on the podcast. Um, but I, I always love hearing about growing up in Southern California, um, from you because the Valley wasn't always like totally filled with malls and orange Julius and hot dog on a stick, um, and malls and multiplexes and car dealerships and shopping centers and Jamba juices and Starbucks. It used to be filled with what Valerie? Well, when I was a, a kid, it was filled with, um, orange groves and, um, farms and there were, uh, a lot of horse ranches, a lot of, um, actors, uh, had property here and they had, um, ranches like the Warner brother ranch was, was here. One the Abbott and Costello, for those of you who remember them, uh, one of those guys had a horse ranch out here. And there were actually even dairies. I remember um, us driving through the, the dairy to pick up our milk. So um, it was a beautiful rural place. And I think that, um, you know, like with, with a lot of um, rural areas that are outside of a city, you know, the city folk kind of thought we were hicks, <laughs> which is hard. That's kind of hard to imagine, but, but they did. And so there was a little bit of a stigma, you know, involved, but that that's totally gone. Um, so well, yeah, yeah. You're almost completely engulfed by Los Angeles at this point. Right. Yeah. Even yeah. though the heart of LA is about an hour from you, right? Well, it's probably an hour. Um, yeah. If there's no traffic, you know, I can, I can make it in probably 45 minutes, but yeah, it's an hour is probably about the, about the right, um, time. But there's no, there's no lack of buildings when you drive from Los Angeles to your house and, you know, for SNL fans, the joke about, take the 405, the 210 to the, you know, like that really is a thing that is a real conversation that Southern Californians have with each other. Because every time that I go somewhere in, in Southern California, that's the first thing people ask. Well, what right. did you take? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And yeah, and, there, and there's so many, but um, yeah, the, it's, they're referred to, you know, by their number. Um, and um, it, 
people are always asking, okay, well, what route um, do you take to, you know, when you get home, is there, especially when I was working downtown and, you know, we would share uh, our different shortcuts that we would take, you know, to get to and from LA. And um, yeah, so it is definitely a big topic of conversation. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. You commuted from the Valley to downtown Los Angeles for almost your whole career. How many years was that? Yeah, that, well, that was, um, about 26 years. Um, prior to that, I just worked here in, um, the San Fernando Valley. And so the commutes were pretty simple, but, um, when I ended up, um, getting the job with the bank that, um, I retired at actually, um, that, that was about a 26 years that I commuted downtown and, and part of it was to Beverly Hills too. So, but that's still, it's, you know, it's kind of an awkward drive to Beverly Hills. (laughs) Yeah. How did you stay sane being in the car for that many years for over an hour at a time every single day? I mean, that's just one way. So sometimes three hours. A day. Yeah. Yeah. If the, if the weather was bad, um, uh, like raining a lot and stuff, you know, they would close a lot. Sometimes they would close, uh, Canyon roads and sometimes even freeways if, it, if they got flooded. But, um, so then it would, yeah, then that would be an extra, extra long commute. But as far as staying sane, um, you know, of course I listened to the radio, um, and, uh, I had, uh, CDs that I listened to. Um, and I just kind of like, I was okay being it. The drive home usually was my time to, uh, unwind, which sounds weird because of all the traffic that you have to deal with. But after a while driving like that is it's sort of on autopilot. Um, so it kind of allows you to let your mind wander. I would think about, um, you know, songs I wanted to write or books I wanted to write stories I wanted to write, um, that kind of thing. So, and sometimes I would listen to talk radio and, um, so I was, I didn't really mind it that much, um, for what it was, but I just didn't like having to be away from home for so much time of a day, you know, cause I consider the commute part of, you know, the work day. So oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. And you, and you got up at oh, 4 a.m. for 25 years. ish. Yeah. 430 ish. Yeah. Yeah. I did because what I wanted to do um, was avoid the traffic in the morning And usually, um, I was able to, you know, well, I I was certainly able to leave right on time from work. And, um, in my twilight years of of my career, I was, my, um, boss was allowed me to, um, I would get there at 7 AM and then my boss would allow me to leave at four. So it gave me a little extra time to get a jump on the traffic. 
in the commute home. So, yeah. And, and for our listeners that are listening in other countries that maybe have never heard of how crazy LA freeways are, how many lanes of traffic in one direction? <laughs> well, um, it kind of depends on the freeway, but, um, there, you know, there would be f- four to five lanes of traffic. Not including um, the HOV lane, right? The carpool lane? Correct. 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 Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's a massive stretch and packed with humans. And surely you noticed a point in time doing that commute all those years where the traffic really started getting bad. Can you remember when it went from like, oh, this is kind of bad to like, wow, this is really terrible. Mm. Yeah. Um, wow. That's, that's kind of a hard question. Um, I would say probably within the last 10 years is when it, it really significantly, uh, jumped up and yeah, yeah. I would say within the last 10 years or so. Yeah. And that's why we, we were always wanting to find alternate routes to get where we were going. So, um, <laughs> Mike would always, would, he would laugh at me when I would, when we would drive down there for some other event, you know, to LA, um, I always wanted to drive because I had my little, you know, uh, um, crazy route, you know, to avoid all the traffic. And he would always laugh about that. He would, he would say, you're, you're, you're definitely your, your father's daughter, because that was the way my father was. (laughs) Always trying to find a different route to avoid traffic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's, um, it's kind of funny because you grew up with the valley being full of orchards and dairy farms and, um, and just like a more simple kind of way of being. And then you grew up to be this woman who commuted to downtown Los Angeles um, what did you think of LA growing up? Did it intimidate you or were you bedazzled by it? <laughs> um, you know, when I first had to start driving there, um, I didn't like it because there were a lot of, um, well, the, the city was kind of dirty. It was run down. Um, but then they, had a, a program and I can't remember what the name of the program was, beautify LA or something. I don't know. But then there was a program that, um, the local government had that they were, um, there, there was sort of a building boom and there was a lot of, um, real estate that was bought by companies that, uh, you know, built like condos and, um, and beautiful office buildings and hotels. And so it got to where it was, it was really nice. But I mean, my first impressions when I was driving there for work, because that's when I, you know, was as an adult, I I could, you know, make my own conclusions and look around and see what was going on. But, you know, I, I worked for another bank and I was in the audit department and one of the branches that we were auditing was in downtown Los Angeles. So I had to drive down there and it was all new. It was all scary. 
I was, you know, I was such a naive kid, you know, (laughs) and it was just very scary. And, um, one of the first things I saw once I got into the branch was, um, a man through the window in this little kind of, um, uh, little cubby space outside, but there was a window there and I saw him urinating there. <laughs> oh, a little traumatizing for you, huh? Yeah, it, it kind of was, you know, and, but then, you know, it's all a matter of what you get used to. So, <laughs> uh, I thought I eventually got used to it right now, LA. Well, besides COVID because right now downtown is kind of dead, but, um, it's really kind of an amazing place to work because there's just so much there and it's in a small area, you know, it's not sprawling like the Valley is. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of an amazing place. And if I was, you know, starting my career over again and I was asked to go to LA, I, I, I'd probably have different feelings about it. Like you would, you think you would do the, the, um, the commute again? Do you think you'd do it all over again? Um, you know, that's a hard question because, um, and, and we've talked about this before, but I always looked at things like you always are going to learn something from the experience, even if it's not a good experience. So I think that I would do it again because, I think it helped me to be more, you know, self-sufficient and, um, just more aware. And, um, I don't know, I guess it, it just made me feel more grown up and, and probably more confident, right? Very much more confident. Thank you for supplying that word. I was, that's kind of the word that I was searching for. So yes, um, I remember, and this is a little, a little bit off topic, but maybe not that much, but I remember when, um, gas was so high here, it was almost $5 a gallon and it was during the summer. And, um, I decided that I was going to take, um, public transportation. Oh, I remember this was like an 08. Probably. Yeah, probably. And, um, I, was, I mean, I had never taken public transportation in my life. So it, it was a little daunting, but I knew that, you know, with everything else I had been through in my life, I could do it. And it was going to be a lesson to me. So, um, I, I learned how to take, um, the, the bus first, the bus to the train station and then the train station down to downtown. So I learned how to do that. And I got my little pass and, um, and it, and that made me more confident too. confident. Now, the problem with it was that it actually took me longer to do public transportation, um, than it took for me to drive. So that and part didn't of, twist your ankle. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> I fell one time, um, when I was trying to cross the street, uh, to get onto the bus and, for some reason, I there I don't know if there's something there or it was just my awkwardness. Um, but yeah, my my the heel of my shoe like caught on something and then it slid and then I fell forward and all the way down to the ground and I I scraped my knee and then my my arm and 
I, I was so mad at myself, but um, I think that <laughs> was when I decided that I wasn't going to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. And I'm sorry I'm chuckling, but it's only because it's I've, I, the, when I first heard it, I was scared with you. But now hearing it years later, it's like, teehee, that is kind of funny, but a little short. <laughs> what is it schadenfreude something (laughs) oh vicky would kill me if i forgot that but anyway um so for the listeners that also maybe don't know this part of los angeles but you know who might be in some european cities or in canada where public transportation is so easy we're talking about a system that was put in in the 90s you so when you were growing up in um, Southern California, there was no public transportation. I mean, you had buses, but that was about it, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, there was a train. Um, the first time I heard of somebody taking public transportation other than the bus was we, they did put in a commuter, um, train called the Metro rail, but, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't convenient or anything like that. <laughs> and what do you mean by that? You ha- the only place you could go would be to Union Station, pretty much. Yeah. And and you didn't really have a reason to do that. What, what did you and your family do for fun and entertainment? In, so it would have been the, um, the, the 60s, the early 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we had a, a really big backyard. And um, so my sister and I, um, you know, we'd play out in the yard. Um, we were kind of like tomboys, I guess. And we would play with, um, you know, the, the little match matchbook or what is it? Matchbox yeah. cards. And we would, you know, uh, dig in the dirt and, and make, uh, roads and, you know, and tunnels and all of that kind of stuff. So we love doing that, but we also love playing with our Barbies. Um, my, um, grandparents actually lived, um, on a farm out in a, a little town called Acton, um, which was about an hour's drive or so. Um, and so we would go out there for the weekend sometimes. And during the summer, we would go out there and stay, you know, a couple of weeks. Um, so there was a lot to do. I mean, um, I, and I, we, we went to the first time that we went to Disneyland, I, it was actually not that long after it opened to be honest, but that was like a huge thing, a huge thing for us to be able to go to Disneyland. So, um, we, we kept ourselves busy. Um, we loved watching TV, you know, in the evenings with, um, our parents and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, we always had something to do. Right. It wasn't so boring. There really wasn't a need to go find excitement in the big city. Not for us, really. Um, as you know, my my family was very, you know, pretty simple <laughs> um, country folk, um, and uh, all of my family is is from the south, actually, and they ended up, you know, migrating here. Um, but yeah, the simple life was what we were raised to know. And, um, obviously when we got older, you know, and we, we could drive ourselves, we, you know, kind of branched out and we would, we'd go other, other places. But, um, yeah, we, 
we had no reason really to, to think that, you know, oh, we, you know, go to the big city. Mm-hmm. What I really yeah. like is the stories of your family packing you and your sister up and taking road trips because that's so iconic 1960s, mm-hmm. um, you know, suburban family. Um, can right. you tell us a little bit about um, those kind of adventures, what that was like, where you were headed, how many times you did that? Mm, yeah. Well, um, yeah. I mean, we didn't go on expensive vacations, you know, like to to fly somewhere um, or go to a resort or something like that. My my family, um, my parents, they actually loved camping, and so they um, took me and my sister camping from you know from the time we were almost babies, and um, you know we camped in a tent and cooked our food on a little. Uh, Coleman stove that was sitting on the picnic table. Um, usually we'd go to the mountains like um, to Sequoia National Park where the redwoods are and uh, Yosemite. Um, and we'd also uh, go uh, to visit family that lived like in Texas and um, uh, Florida. And uh, one thing that was fun um once my dad built a little camper that we would sleep in, um, you know, and then, then we would take more trips and we were going up to, um, well, almost any, any road trip, really, when you get out of California, they have, they have these, um, stores along the way. And I, I'm sure you've heard of them, Stuckies. And oh, they yeah, were, Stuckies. yeah, yeah. They were famous for their pecan rolls and they were amazing. (laughs) And so my sister and I, you know, we would be looking out the camper, we would be laying on the bed that was on the overhead cab and look out the window. And we always wanted to stop at Stuckey's and get those pecan rolls. So (laughs) that that was kind of a little tradition. And, you know, it seems like when, when you were on vacation like that, when you were doing road trips that, you know, it was, it was, what do they call it? De rigueur to, um, eat junk food. So (laughs) yeah. yeah. Are you even having a road trip if you don't have tons of snacks, like cookies, chips, and chocolate and candy? I mean, I don't don't think that's a real road trip. (laughs) No, No, that is not a road trip. Yeah. So the, the junk food is, is always, um, you know, required. Do you think that those, um, those trips that you took as a child um, kind of created the woman who wanted to travel internationally? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that it made me not be afraid to travel internationally. Um because some people, they never leave the town, you know, that they, that they grew up in or live, live in. And, um, I think that, I mean, I never, I never figured that I would go to the, the many places that, that we've been able to go. But, um, I think that it, the trips that I took as a child made me um, eager, you know, to, to travel and to, and to go different places and, and like learn from the culture and stuff. Yeah. And just be open to that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you and your husband have traveled, um, to so many neat places, 
um, like Bora Bora and Scotland and um, Italy, um, and you've taken cruises. Um, you've been to Jamaica a handful of times. What's your favorite place that you and your husband have gone to? Hmm. Well, that's kind of a hard question and kind of an easy question at the same time. Oh, um, I love that answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, you know, Italy was probably our favorite place and, and someplace we'd like to go back there and stay, you know, for a few days in one place. Um, you know, Venice was beautiful. Um, we'd love to go to like Lake Como and stay. But, um, on the other hand, we've been to places like Egypt and Israel and to stand in those countries, you know, with the, the culture being so ancient and see the artifacts from those times. Um, and just to know kind of, you know, how history was shaped in those places was wonderful. And then, you know, as far as islands go, you know, the Caribbean is wonderful, great culture. Um, and, and even Bora Bora, um, that has an ancient culture and, and it was so beautiful. So, you know, I think that traveling, you know, is, is an education of its own. And, and I always encourage everybody to travel as much as they can, because you learn so much from it. If you're open to it, you have to be open to it. Mm-hmm. What's Where's the scariest place you ever traveled? Mm, scariest. I was most scared. Um, well, I was anxious about going to Egypt um, and in Israel, because at the time we went, there was some unrest in both and that, places. I was in the late eighties. Uh, uh, that was in the, that was in 1994. Oh, mid nineties. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was, I was a little, um, afraid of that, but once I got there, I was fine. Um, but Interestingly, about two weeks after we got home, um, there was, um, in Cairo, there was a bus that had, um, a a lot of German, um, travelers that were on a tour that some, um, um, extremist person, um, or group that they blew up the bus and killed a lot of, uh, the travel, the German travelers, but, so that was, wow. that was kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. That hit really close to home then. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It did. I, I honestly, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't go back there now, <laughs> you know, even though it was amazing and I loved, you know, I loved when we were there, but um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I probably wouldn't just because I am kind of a, a scaredy cat, you know, to a certain Well, extent. I think you have a good reason to be if you come back from a trip and that happens. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a little terrifying, but, um, yeah. so, um, you, you said that your family's from the South and, um, and I know that you were really close to, um, to your mom and dad do you feel like your political views and your view on the world were shaped mostly by your family or you're also an extensive reader? Um, mm. or was it, was it reading? Um, I think probably 
probably a little bit of both, but mostly it was probably shaped by my family, even though they weren't um, political, um, but they, they were very conservative. Um, and so I, that's where I think I got my conservative values from. Um, although, you know, I, I, I think that they were probably more conservative than, you know, than I've become. How can you know that someone's conservative if they're not really political? Cause I, I always thought someone who's super conservative would be super political. How did that look? Well, um, I think that, you know, conservative is not necessarily or exclusively um, a political term. You know, to me, I think that you can be conservative in in your values, you know, in your moral values and um, and in a lot of ways, I think. But uh, so they were um, conservative, mostly, I would say, in, more in their in their moral values Um, so I, which, which means I think that you, you don't have to be political to be conservative in your moral values. Right. And your parents, uh, raised you in the, um, Jehovah's witness, um, religion. Right. That's true. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, they, they weren't, um, I don't want to use the word extreme, but I can't think of the word that I want to use, but they, they weren't hardcore about it, let's say. Um, and so I think that, you know, values came from that. Um, but I don't, you know, they, like I said, they weren't hardcore. So, so we did, they had, they had a certain set of values before they got involved with Chova's witnesses. And, um, I think that that's more kind of what, what I took on. You, you took on more of their values before they went into the church rather yeah, than, uh, because yeah, so. you ended up leaving, um, Jehovah's witness, um, faith, yeah. um, yes. but you continue to believe in God and, um, and, and carry, uh, some of the wisdom that you've learned from the Bible, right? Correct. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And how do you think that differs from how young people are putting together their political views, or do you think there's a difference between how maybe you receive them to how people are receiving their political views or, or creating their political views today? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think that, um, communications have just exploded, you know, with the internet and, um, the, you know, the phones to be able to, you know, text and to, to do Twitter. And I mean, there's so many places that you can get your information from and, um, with, with kids and, you know, as a 66 year old, <laughs> uh, I'm talking about, you know, probably, eh, you know, even Gen Xers and, you know, millennials and stuff. I think that from what I've seen anyway, I think they, they get a lot of their information, um, 
and maybe even values from what they read and, and, you know, hear on these different um, platforms. Um, and it's really, it's really hard. I mean, this, the one thing that I always struggled with was like, all right, how, because I was kind of a cynic about, about everything. Um, how do you really know if these people are telling you the truth, you know? So I think it takes a lot of work, um, on each person's part to, 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 to responsibly develop their views, I guess. I don't, I think that's what I, I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a hard question. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I, I'm so glad that you delved into um, sort of that social media realm. Um, have you heard the statistics that state the majority of fake news that's passed around the internet actually comes from your generation and older? Well, I, I'm not, su- I'm kind of not surprised at that. Um, you know, I, just because you're older doesn't mean you're smarter. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that every single younger person than you right now just went, wait, what? What what did that older person <laughs> just say? Can you say that again? Can I record that and play that back to other people? Um, <laughs> that that's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm from the ba- baby boomer generation, and um, you know, uh, I think that you know, for the the the. Now, what's the generation before me? Silent generation. Silent generation. Um, you know, they were they grew up being used to having you know just one place to find their news, you know, and and they, and so you basically believed that. Um, and um, yeah, I now it it's it's just amazing that there are so many outlets that you can, you know, get the news of the day or, you know, what's going on. I mean, I think it's, a, to me, it's a little tiring. I don't, I, sometimes I think there's just too much discussion about everything. And that, and that doesn't mean that I want to be ignorant, you know, I want to be informed, but um, I don't, I just, I don't, it's just tiring. It's exhausting to me. And I think it's exhausting to everybody, whether, whether they, you know, understand that or, or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there is a lot less of people spending time outside. And the episode that is airing before this one is with a Gen Z um, person who talks about, about that a little bit about how her generation really does not go outside. And I think she said, feel the skin on their, the, the sun on their face. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you find that, it, is that, do you think that's a generational thing or do you think that's like all of us? Now, granted, we're living in COVID times. Right, right. But do you feel like as technology and, because um, you and your husband have always been, so on top of technology, even without having children, you always had the latest and greatest gadgets. Did you find <laughs> yourselves um, maybe not going outside as much, you know, changing from being on the farm and playing with horses to just just sort of resting at home and not really being outside? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that that, that's true. Um, but on the other hand, um, both of us love nature. We, you know, because of my, my job mostly now, Mike, you know, he worked, he worked outside. So he did, he was outside a lot and he enjoyed being busy and, you know, going out with friends to, to wherever, you know, to the park or wherever. But, um, we, we do stay inside more, I think because of, you know, the technology and, and television and, uh, you know, all that, that sort of thing. But, you know, throughout my work, my career, having, you know, worked inside in an office, I, and having so much exposure to the outdoors as a child, uh, and a teenager growing up, um, I crave being out in nature and I miss it too. I mean, it's a lot different just going out in your backyard um, or going for a walk in the neighborhood than actually going like camping, you know, by the beach or in the mountains. And I think that there's not enough of that that happens. And that's what causes people to have so many um issues, I think, even with their mental health, um, you know, as far as, as, you know, depression and, and that sort of thing. I, I think that nature, you know, is a healing, um, thing and, and, and people need that more, whether they know it or not. I think, I think that they need that. I think that's inside of us kind of to want that. Yeah, it's, it's, definitely something that I crave if I don't, if I don't get into the mountains or the woods, which is why I had to leave the cities that I lived in, like Paris, London, and New York. And I know my listeners right now are like, wait, okay, where, okay, where did she, because I keep talking about all these places I've lived and I've actually had listeners say like, I don't understand. I thought you lived in poverty, but then you had a computer and I'm like, yes, it's all true. Um, but yeah, that was one of the reasons why I chose to, um, be in Arizona is because I can see the mountains all the time and there's usually every day is a hiking day. It just depends on what time you get up even in the summer. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, um, with this generation that isn't outside as much. And like you said, I don't think it counts being in your backyard and walking in your neighborhood. Right. Um, but anyway, um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you too, you're kind of a punk rocker of your generation because of the fact that you chose not to have children. Mm, um, yeah. How, how did that choice come about? And, um, and, and do you feel like you were kind of, um, maybe not ostracized, but, but you knew that this is a totally different way of living than what was expected of you growing up in the sixties and seventies. Right. Right. Um, you know, um, when we first got married, we, we talked about it and, um, I, I like children. Um, I love children actually. I love my nieces. I love my Trish (laughs) and, um, but we were having so much fun um, 
the two of us and we just kept putting it off. We kept saying, or making a conscious decision, you know, like, okay, well, let's wait another maybe year and, and see where we're at. And, and then maybe then we'd get there and it'd be, well, let's wait another two years or so. And, and so that just kind of kept happening. And I honestly, I, I didn't, there's a lot of women that, that had, you know, this overwhelming maternal feeling that they wanted a child. That's the way my mother was. And she told me that, you know, but, um, I didn't have that. Um, and I remember that, uh, when my sister got pregnant, um, I thought, oh, well, maybe this would be a good time because, um, you know, then our children play together and, you know, be cousins and all of that. But that was more of a, like a, it, it wasn't really a substantial thing that I was like, yeah, I really, I got to do this. I want to do this. It was you more know? like a fantasy than a craving. Yeah, definitely. And I, and, and as far as the ostracized, ostracized, I can't say the word. As far as being ostracized, <laughs> I just, I just yeah. changed the tense. Yeah, I, people did say things to me. They said, well, you're being selfish and which was kind of shocking that somebody would actually say that to me, but they did. And, um, and I basically just kind of like let it go, you know, roll off my back because one thing that I've always been is my own person. And um, if I make a decision, it's my decision. It's nobody's business necessarily, unless they, you know, want to talk about it. That's fine. But um, yeah, so I, I did, um, get, get a lot of heat for it, but, and my parents were, you know, they weren't terrible, but they were like, Oh, you know, it'd be so nice to have, you know, another grandchild, but, um, they never pushed me or Mike about it. And it just, you know, we were having so much fun. We started traveling around the world and it was like, and I knew I had to work full time. You know, I, I knew that, that that was, going to be an issue because, um, I did, I was, wouldn't be able to take care of my child. Like I wanted to, you know, full time. That's what I would have wanted to do. Um, and so, yeah, I, we were just having such a great time and, and it wasn't like we were both, yeah, we got to have a family. We got to have a family, but we chose that path con consciously. Um, and you know, once we made our decision that, you know, that was that and we're, and we're happy with it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, um, you know, it, it doesn't sound like you have any regrets whatsoever. No, no regrets the way I lived my life. Not at all. And, um, the only people who have ever said anything to me about my choice to not have children has always been from the baby boomer generation has never been Gen Xers. It's never been millennials. Um, and it's really interesting. I wonder if that, um, that judgment and that expectation is, is, is going to, um, be a thing of the past. Um, hmm. you know, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, probably because, you know, now 
there's with globalization and everything thing things are so different now and i don't see them going back necessarily in a lot of ways now there may be some things that that will change you know the pendulum swings you know and then and then it swings back the other way like with the victorian you know victorians they you know they were so strict about things and then and then this the pendulum swung the other way and then you had the 20s and people were just kind of like out of control in a way so um yeah so history history is a funny thing i mean you can really learn a lot from it um if you look at it, it objectively and um you know i think that for now yeah not having children or choosing, you know, to live your life like that, that is, I think that's going to be here a while. Yeah. I agree. Well, that's a good segue into, um, our session called rapid fire questions. And the first question is what's your favorite memory from childhood? I would say, um, gosh, I had such a wonderful childhood. It, it would be so hard to single anything out, but I would say that probably like going camping would, would be one of my favorites because it was just, it was magical. So, um, there's nothing yeah. that beats the smell of coffee. And even though I'm now vegan, you can still make the smell with, with tempeh bacon and fire. Oh yeah. Firewood <laughs> or a, a, an open fire Bacon mm-hmm. crackling on your Coleman stove and coffee, that's heaven to me. That's all yeah. I ever want in life. <laughs> yeah. When you eat, when you have, prepare and eat your food outside like that, is definitely the best. It's yes. so good. It can be the most basic food and you're like, I've never eaten anything better. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> What's your favorite 80s band or song? Oh, gosh. Mike does this to me all the time, and, I, and it's so hard for me to pick favorites. But um, there were so there was a lot of good music, and and I liked all different kinds of music. So I would say I I loved like the smooth jazz sound, you know, David Sanborn and Kenny G, and um, and then I and then I I loved Fleetwood Mac, and and then the Eagles, and. Gosh, I mean that—that's impossible. Yeah, your taste, your taste is like a rainbow of people <laughs> like me. Like it is really hard to narrow it down. But yeah. you were also really into Celtic and Scottish music in the eighties, because I remember you being like, "You got to listen to this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I do have a very broad, um, you know, range of of music that, that I love. So, yeah. What about your favorite eighties film? Um, you know, there were a couple that really affected me and I'd say like Indiana Jones, the first (laughs) one. That's because your husband looks like Harrison Ford. Well, kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's, he's actually been told that a couple of times, but Um, I just loved that movie and I love it today and I would watch it over and over again. The other one that I really liked, um, was, uh, Romancing the Stone with, uh, Michael Douglas and, uh, uh, Kathleen Turner. 
Kathleen Turner, yes. Mm-hmm. I loved that movie too. So those those were two of, of my favorites probably. Um why why didn't you go to college? Mm. Well, you know, college was discouraged um by um Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, but you know, I I never liked school. I mean, I liked I liked elementary school and I liked part of middle school, but um I just didn't like being so confined like in the classroom and that I mean, I would have visions of being like an archaeologist and, uh, you know, different things that, that you would have had to have a college education for. Um, but the, the classroom, the, res- the restrictions of a classroom learning never appealed to me anyway. So, um, yeah, that's, kind of, that's why I didn't. So what about um, what was your favorite music as a kid? Mm. You know, my parents were really, really um, into um, country music, Um, although my mother loved Elvis Presley. (laughs) So um, so that was like the rockabilly sound, I guess, at first. But, um, yeah, I listen. We listen to country music. um, And so that probably and my grandparents did. So that was probably my favorite, you know, the the first time I remember actually liking an artist on my own, you know, kind of branching out, it was James Taylor. So would that be you as a teen? Yes. Yes. Because I was, I think I was in, was I in seventh grade or so? I think that was seventh grade. So yeah. Yeah. As a teenager. Yeah. So Valerie, if you had Um, one piece of advice to give any generation could even be the generation before you. Um, But now you're, you've got all of these generations um, on the planet either to get through the bad times or just life advice in general. What would you tell them? Mm. Um, That's hard because it it would, you want it to apply to all across all generations. But I think that probably, the biggest thing that sometimes is missing these days is just to, to be kind to everyone and don't be so judgmental about um, other people and their lifestyle and that sort of thing. Because, you know, like I always say, when you're pointing the finger at somebody, you have, you know, three fingers pointing back at yourself. So, um, you know, be humble and be humble because you sometimes you can't be kind without being hun- humble. Don't, you know, don't be so selfish. So I think that's probably, I think that would apply to everyone, every generation. I like that. Just be kind. Mm-hmm. Well, well, Valerie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. I love it. Thanks for listening. And if you think this is worth listening to, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Be kind to each other, listen to each other, and let's stop being separated by our differences. I don't want to be an army one.